Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. Amen and amen. Guys, remember when Abraham was 75 years old? Think about that. When Abraham was 75 years old, God called him out of the Ur of Chaldees. You guys remember that? And promised that he would make him a great nation. And you go, man, that's... See, see, here's the thing, guys. We keep thinking, man, if God doesn't call me by the time I'm 21, if God doesn't call me by the time I'm 30, God's going to call you. God's going to call you. He wants to use you. I think the coolest thing ever is that he calls Abraham. He calls him at 75. I don't know what he's done up until 75, but I know that this, that God is always preparing even before that. And God was preparing him at the year of Chaldees, but he had a great, he had a great, great ministry for him. And I know what God is doing in our lives. He's going to prepare us even now. You go, Pastor, I don't see it. Just be patient. He's working behind the scenes. He's working behind the scenes. He's working in our lives. And he wants to call us to great things. And your thing might not be uh, behind a pulpit preaching the gospel. Your thing might be, listen, I'm a prayer warrior and I'm praying for all the, all the people. I'm praying. I just pray. I sit down and I just pray. And you're a great prayer warrior. And to that I say amen because we need more prayer warriors. Amen. amen. It was Acts 2.42 that says, you know what, that we're supposed to be about the apostles' doctrine, right? The fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayers. The problem is in prayers, we forget to pray. The prayer meetings are the, are, are the least attended guys anymore. The least attended. We need to be men. We need to be women of prayer and ask God to do an incredible work. Well, Abraham, 75, God, hey, get out of there. We got work for you to do. I'm going to make you a great nation. So what does he do? He followed God's promise only part of the way, <laughs> which is amazing. Why? Because he doesn't go to Canaan right away. He goes up to Haran. He's going to hang out there with his dad. Okay, well, God called me to... That's like that's like going, Ben, yes, Lord, I want you to go to Lubbock. Okay, I'll go as far as Santa Rosa. No, Ben, I called you to Lubbock. Santa Rosa is where I'm going to be. That's what he's doing. You go, but no, 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 that's, well, I'm going to minister to, 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 to Lubbock via Santa Rosa. No, you're not. I want you to go to Canaan. I want you to go to Canaan. I've called you. Well, he ended up in Haran. We learned that his father, Terah, dies there. God continues to speak to him, right? He says, hey, I need you to go to the land that I promised you. The land that I promised you. And of course, we know that he said goodbye to dad up in, and then now all of a sudden we know that his nephew Lot abandoned him to go live in Sodom. So, so I mean, he's just, he's just tripping right now. Well, at 85 years old, guess what? He has one son. His name is Ishmael. And he had him. Not the way God promised, but he had him through, the, through, through his wife's Egyptian slave girl. You go, what does that mean? Well, see, God said, listen, I've got this perfect will for you. I've got this perfect will. And what Abraham did is he decided to use God's permissive will. I'm going to do things my way, Lord. And next thing you know, ah, and you have little Ishmael. Well, you know that's going to bring contention, right? You know that's going to bring strife. The Bible tells us. And so you got Ishmael. This was not God's plan. God's plan was always to have a child through Abraham and Sarah. Well, Ishmael grows up. Everything's fine. But when he turns 13, Abraham was 99 years old. So he's pretty old. God appeared to him again. Now, here, let's just go back again, okay? Think about this. From 85 to 99 is how many years? 13 years. 
It doesn't tell us, so this is just my opinion, but it's almost like God was silent for 13 years. Abraham's trying to listen to the voice of God, and then finally God shows up at 99, and he speaks to him, right? And, and Ishmael's 13, and God appears to him, and he says, listen, you're going to have a son, but it's going to be by your wife, Sarah, okay? Yes, Lord. This is going to happen next year. Now, Abraham... Guys, think about this, was long past the age of producing children, as was Sarah. You guys know this, right? When the Bible says, when the Bible calls somebody old, like it doesn't give an age and it says, man, they're old, well advanced in age, what does that mean? It's about dead. They're just about dead. That's what it means. Okay? So when somebody asks you your age, stand up proud. I'm da da da, whatever it is, right? Because it's like, it's, don't ever say, well, I'm old, advanced in age. Don't say that. Don't say that. We've got a lot of good years left in us. And so he, they're old, and that, man, how are you going to have a baby? What do you mean I'm going to have a baby? And, and Sarah laughs. She said, this is ridiculous. This is crazy. This is crazy. However, Abraham believed God. And a son was born to Sarah and Abraham. And they named their son Isaac, which means laughter. And he was born to Abraham when Abraham was 100 years old. Guess how old Sarah was? 90 years old. Now, again, think about this. They're just, they're they're really old. I'll get to it in a minute. I mean, so so they have this little baby. Uh, They sent Ishmael out of the picture because you guys remember, he couldn't get along with his little brother. He was always fighting. So Hagar and uh, Ishmael go on. They're out of the picture. Abraham sent them away. And last week we learned that they were not sure. We weren't sure of the age of Isaac. We're not sure. Was he a teenager? Was he a, was he a young man? Was he in his 20s? We're really not sure. But suddenly, and, and isn't that how it happens? Suddenly, out of the blue, Abraham's peaceful life, Abraham's peaceful world was shattered because God appears to him and he says, man, I'm going to give you one of the greatest tests of faith you could ever imagine. Oh, man, listen. First of all, time out, I don't like tests. How many of you like tests? I don't like tests. Even if I know the information, I freak out. It's like, even if it's an online test, okay, is it one A or B? A or B. I know this one. I'm not sure. B. You're just like, oh, I don't like tests. Okay, some of you are just really good, and you can pass tests with your eye closed. You don't even have to study. Okay, we don't like you anyway, so if you do that, we just... <laughs> we don't like those people. Oh, I didn't even study. I got an A+. Plus. And I studied for three weeks, and I got a B-. minus. You know, come on. Come on, man. That's what he's talking about, right? He's, it's a test. Well, it wasn't that kind of test. But it was a test where he says, Abraham, here's what I want you to do. Ready? I want you to sacrifice your son. Hold the phone. Time out. Say what? Say what? I mean, isn't this trippy? I mean, because, because, man, I think of Ryan sitting in the front row. He's going to get it tonight. I think of Ryan. He's got a little son. Oh, it's a little over a year. You love your boy, Ryan? Absolutely. There's no, I mean, Ryan can't even fathom that God would ask him to do that. And God wouldn't. But it just blows our mind to think, God, why would you do this? This is, 
this is crazy. But Abraham knows God so well that he immediately gets up and goes, immediately honors the Lord. And I don't know about you, sacrificial of the family aside, I want to be like Abraham. When God says something, I want to be obedient. I want to do it. God, please. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I know you put that in my heart. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Well, this was a true test of faith, was it not? But it also showed the heart of God. Guys, when you read the story, I mean, think about it. It was God who was willing to send and sacrifice his only begotten son, Jesus. So everybody from Genesis chapter 2, even before and on, read that and go, yeah, but wait a minute, that is, that's Jesus. Because we know the story, right? We know the story. I mean, think about this, right? I mean, it's just like, wow. And I think, I think about Abraham and I think about Sarah and I think about them being so old. Think about this. It was impossible for an old couple to conceive And you add God into the mix, and that's where you get a miracle. That's where you get a miracle. Well, Abraham obeys. Okay, let's do this, man. Gets up early in the morning, takes Isaac, his son, to Mount Moriah, where he's going to kill him. And the question we asked ourselves, church, listen. What are we holding on to that God wants us to trust him with? What is it in our lives that we're holding on, we're guarding, we're protecting, that God says, trust me, trust me. What is it? And say, so, oh, pastor, I mean, it, I mean, it could be my job. It could be my job. I'm, I'm holding on. God wants me to trust him. God wants me to trust him. I got to tell you the story about my job. Oh, my goodness. When I first got here, I had a job. The only problem is, is you can't plant a church and work 60 hours a week, 70 hours a week. And that's what I was doing. And so, man, I'm getting home, and my wife used to call it first dinner and second dinner. They'd all eat first dinner, and by the time I got home, it was second dinner at 9 o'clock. And so I'd eat at 9 o'clock only to get up and do it all over again. And I remember sitting here. Sophie and Yvonne were here at this time, and they knew what was the struggle. And, and, and the thing about it, I was like, so I, I, I called my pastor. Hey, I'm working a lot. The church is small. I don't know what we're doing. Dude, God really got me. And so they said, why don't you quit? Why don't you trust the Lord? I think that's what I'll do. I'll quit. I'll trust the Lord. So I quit. And I trusted Jesus. And everything went. You mean, you mean God didn't give you a job? No, no, no. He gave me a job eventually. But what he wanted me to do is he wanted me to trust him with that. And I saw our savings go down. And I'm tripping. And I'm like, but, he, but here's what God was doing. Let me give you some hindsight. Here's what God was doing. God was going, listen, if, now, if you're going to leave, Ben, now's the time to leave. If you're going to leave, if you're not going to plant this, if you're not going to finish what you started, now's the time for you to leave. Because things are a mess. You don't have a good job. You're working eight to five, but you're not making any money. You're eating beans and chicken every night because that's all you could afford. Go. I said, no, Lord, I'm not going to leave. And then God said, okay. So, because here's what happens. Listen, God's going to build the man before he builds the church. And so that's what God was doing. He was beginning to build and to work and to mold. Now, the thing is, is I'm not there yet. So he's still chipping away in different areas. You know, it's like, oh, Lord, that hurts. Oh, that hurts. Okay. Ooh, oh, okay. But but that's what he's doing. That's what he's doing. 
So my question to you, church, in a way of application is what? What are we really holding on to deep in our heart where nobody knows that God says, trust me with that? Trust me. In other words, I wrote this. What is our Isaac that we need to trust the Lord with? What is our Isaac? It could be a job, could be a relationship. It could be, you know, a relationship with the father or mother, whatever it might be. I mean, this is, this is what he wants us to trust him with. And here's what we learned last week, guys, that God provided the lamb that was to be sacrificed. Here's the difference, right? Look at, look at chapter two, 22, verse 11, real quick. But the angel of the Lord, right, called out to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. Now, here's the deal. He was about to kill his son. He was on the wood, right, wrapped up. He's ready to kill Abraham. Yes. He said, here I am. I would have been, what? <laughs> you know, right? What? And he's like, here I am. And he said, don't lay your hand on the lad nor do anything to him, for I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket. Do you guys see that in your Bible? Mark that down. You go, why? Because I'm going to show you something in a minute. So there's a ram caught. So Abraham went, took the ram, offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the place, what? The Lord will provide. In other words, Jehovah Jireh. As it said to this day, in the mount of the Lord shall it shall be provided. Now, remember we talked about this statement, okay? The statement about God is this. God will often take the will for the deed with people. God will often take the will for the deed with people. When he finds them truly willing to make the sacrifice he demands. He often doesn't require the deed. He looks deep within our hearts and he says, are you willing? Are you sincere? And are you loyal? When the children of Israel were wandering, remember it says in Deuteronomy that God tested them so they could see what was in their own heart. See, God knew what was in their heart, but he wanted them to see what was in their heart. And I think that sometimes there's some tests in our lives, guys, so that we can see what's in our hearts. We can see our true character. What's in my heart? Am I loyal? Am I sincere? Am I obedient? Do I love Jesus? And sometimes there's those tests of faith. Okay, step out on the water. Step out on the water. Right? Peter? Don't you just love Peter? Peter, Jesus, is that you? Bid me to come. Jesus is like, get out of the boat, Pete. He's like, all right. And he starts going, right? And he's walking on water. The dude's walking on water. He's the only one that can say, apart from Jesus, I walked on water. And then what happens? The Bible says he looked at the waves and the winds, everything. His, his, his intellect probably got up to him. This cannot be. And his only prayer was, Lord, help me. I love that. But we give Peter a hard time, don't we? Pete, keep your eyes on Jesus, bro. Pete, what's wrong with you, Peter? But Peter was the only one that got out of the boat. Peter's the only one that says, man, I'm going to take a step of faith. I'm going to walk on water. And then what blows me away is how did they get back? I had to walk on water to come back or Jesus carried him. I'm not sure. All right, Pete, come on. Let's go right he puts him back in the boat i don't know but what if they walked back that would have been a cool thing we'll get to heaven ask him pete did you walk back oh i did man that's cool that's cool pete that's cool well today church listen god wants to give us some insight into a man who has grown i believe in the grace of god and he now deals with his wife and his best friend leaving the earth See, in our study tonight, guys, we have the privilege to see how a man of God faced death 
of his wife and learn some lessons about facing grief and helping others as they face those losses. Now, let's face it. Death is a hard thing. Death is a hard thing. When we lose somebody we love, we feel like it's so permanent. We're reminded, though, that those that are in Christ are simply waiting for us in heaven. Those that are in Christ are going, man, I can't wait for them to get here. I can't wait. This is going to be amazing. See, Abraham's going to teach us some really good lessons tonight, guys. Lessons that you already know, but we need to practice. You see, when a believer dies, we mourn, don't we? Because we, we love our family. We love our friends. I think what hits us more than anything is when it comes out of the blue. That's, that's, that's the worst. It's like, oh my gosh, I didn't know. But death is still hard no matter what. And if we're honest, we're all preparing for it. In our minds and in our hearts, and we think about it, we probably think about it more than we want to admit. Now, I know the young kids, because that's how God made you, they're not really thinking about this. That's why we have soldiers at a very young age, because they're like, I'm invincible. But as you get older, you start to think a little bit more about it. You start to think about your own mortality. You, you go to a funeral, and you think, wow, that could be me. That could be me. It was a real trip the other day, really trippy because I got on a text and somebody said, somebody said, hello, pastor. And you know, when you have a text, but you haven't put the name, you just like, you're not sure who it is. I'm like, who's, what's this number? Who's he calling? What, what is it? And he said, and, and basically said, just checking on you, wanted to make sure you're all right. Well, that's weird. And so I looked it up. I go, oh, it's my pastor friend from another church. He said, yeah, I saw in the newspaper where Benjamin Martinez got killed on a motorcycle. I thought it was you. And then he sends me the obit. Like, that wasn't, you know, wasn't going to freak me out enough. You know, I'm like, ah, that's really freaky to see your own name in the paper, you know. And it, the dude was 56. I mean, I'm not that, okay. But it was real close. And so I was like, wow. That's, I mean, I was trippy. I was just like, what? It, and it got me to think. I mean, what? Well, I hope they put Pastor Ben so people know who it is and just, but, you know, I have a motorcycle. I mean, it, it, it could have easily been. But death is a hard thing, guys. But we mourn, but not like those who have no hope, because we're going to see our loved ones again. Well, guys, we should not be shocked to find the death of Sarah recorded as part of the biography of Abraham. Sarah was special. Of the 20 verses in this chapter, let me just break this down. Do you realize there's only two verses that really talks about Abraham's emotional response of his wife's death? And then the other 18, it's about buying a place where he could bury her. Now, that's the challenge of a pastor. What am I going to talk about? Lord. But he says, no, no, we need to talk about this. We need to talk about this. Now, last week, if you were paying attention, we stopped at verse 19. And if you are ever been to Calvary Chapel, you're going to raise your hand and go, Ben, Ben, we, I thought we were going to cover 20 to 24. We are, but I'm going to use it as part of the intro from, from tonight, okay? Because that's where we left off. Now, here's why I want to bring it up, okay? Because the last verses of chapter 22 
actually record an incident that would bear upon the future. Okay, remember I said, remember when Abram had caught the what, the ram in the thicket? He was there, God had already provided. He turned around and there he is. Oh, I don't have to kill my son. God, you will provide. It's known as Jehovah Jireh. God will provide. But notice this is this. Now it came to pass, verse 20 of chapter 22, that after these things, that it was told Abraham, saying, Indeed, Milcah has also borne children to your brother Nahor. So Abraham has a brother. What's his name? Nahor. He says, Who's, here, here's their names. Huz, that's his firstborn. Okay? Buzz, his brother. Huz and Buzz. That's a cool thing, right? I wonder if they called him Buzz Lightyear. No, I'm just kidding. It says, His brother, okay, Camuel, and the father of Aram. He said, Chez, Hazed, Pildash, Jelpha, and Bethuel. And Bethuel begot, what's that name? Help me, church. Rebecca. Rebecca. You go, why is that important? Well, then he goes on to say, he says, these eight, Milcah, born to Nahor, Abraham's brother, his concubine, whose name was Ruma, also bore these four guys. But you go, pastor, what's the point? Well, here's what I want you to see what the Bible's trying to do. He's saying, if God is Jehovah Jireh, my provider, in the providence of God, a wife for Isaac had already been provided long before the need had arisen. You see that? God takes care of the future in advance. In other words, the ram was already in the bush. So Rebecca's there. That's going to come for Isaac's story. Okay? So with that as our intro, let's look at chapter 23. If you're taking note, let me give you a quick outline of chapter 23. Verses 1 and 2, simply Abraham mourns the death of Sarah. Verses 3 to 16, Abraham negotiates a burial site for Sarah and his family. And then in 17 through 20, they deed him the land. That's really this chapter. You go, well, Ben, why didn't we do two chapters? Because chapter 24 has 66 verses. We might be here till 11 o'clock, I think, you know? So we're just going to do 23. You guys ready? Genesis 23, 1 and 2. Sarah lived 127 years. These are the years of the life of Sarah. So Sarah died in Kerjath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan, and Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. That's all we know about the death of Sarah. But we see something so amazing and so beautiful. Although we see that Abraham has made plenty of mistakes, we know that he truly loves Sarah. You see, he's apparently not with her, and he hears the news about his wife's passing. He was probably out with the sheep, and he says, oh, he gets the phone call, if you will. I'm trying to modernize it. He gets the text message. He gets the, oh, my goodness. But back in the day, he knows, man, you know what? Somebody said, hey, your wife, yes, she died. What? What? 
I want to break down this, this, this chapters for just a moment, guys. I want to, and I want to chat. Sarah's age is given. I find that interesting. She's how old? 127 years old. Which means if you're taking note, you can write this next to your Bible. Isaac's about 37 years old. Okay, so she's 127. She spent a great amount of time raising her boy. We're not sure of the timeline between chapter 22 and 23, but we do know that Sarah is gone from this earth, and it says that she was 127. Now, I want you to see something that I just, you know, when the Bible pops out at you, you're just like, oh, that's cool. Notice what it says. The Bible records that she was living or she lived 127 years. You guys see that? Look at verse one again. Sarah lived. You go, why is that important? Because I, I just, the Lord just really impressed on, on my heart. And, and it was like, look, it said that Sarah lived 127 years. And you go, okay, yes, Ben, everybody lives. No, 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 here's my prayer. My prayer is that, that while we're on earth, we would live and not simply exist. You go, Ben, that's not what it means in context. No, but in application, here's what I'm saying. Man, we got to live. We got to live. And, I, and, and you go, what does it mean? Well, but living, see, living implies, guys, life. Life, you're full of life, you smile, you're happy, things are good. It also implies love, that people love you and that you love, you're able to love. And it also implies happiness and joy. Even in the midst of low lows of our life, you're still living. You see, existence or existing, well... Many people exist, and then they just wait to die. You see, but Jesus said to you and I, listen, he said, I came to give you guys life, and life more abundantly. Of course, that's eternal life, and if we have eternal life, then, man, I don't want to waste this life here. Listen, look around. We got family. We got family. We got people that we can count on. We got people that we can love. We got people that we can love with. And we got people who will cry with us. We got people who will lift up our arms when they're hurting. And we got others who will just give us a hug and not say a word. I don't just want to exist. It didn't say that Sarah just existed. But I really want to embrace life and I want to live. I want the adventures that God has for me. Listen, listen, jot this down. I don't want to just read about revival. I want to see revival. I just want to read, oh, back in the days of great revival. I mean, I want to see it. And I want to see Acts, the Holy Spirit, fall on our church. I want to see God do incredible things. I want to see you take the word of God as a foundation and use it in your schools and in the golf course and at the Walmart and wherever it might be that God uses you. I want you to live. You go, what does it mean? What does it mean life more abundantly? Well, if you look it up, it means life to the fullest. Life to the fullest. Here's the question. Are you existing or are you really living life to the fullest? Depending on how many years you have left, man, I want to live life to the fullest. Jesus could come back any second. And I really don't want to be the Christian Eeyore. I don't want to be the guy that's super bummed all the time. Hey, how you doing? I'm a Christian. Want to be one too? No. I don't want to be Christian Eeyore. Man, 
how you doing today, man? Life is, is hot. And I know some of you said that today. It's hot. You think it's hot here. Make sure you're saved. But I don't want to be that. I, 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 she, I mean, she lived. She lived. She lived 127 years old. I think Sarah died, and I still think she was beautiful. She could turn heads at 90 years old. I mean, she was, she, I, I think that's part of it, guys. And I'll tell you why. Because beauty is on the inside. Beauty is on the inside. I think Sarah somehow found the, if you will, she might have appeared and to have the fountain of youth. But I think her youthfulness and her beauty would have concealed the fact that death was coming upon her. So the Bible says in verse 2 that Sarah died. But where did she die? Guys, circle the word for Hebron, right? Because Abraham, it just seems like he was uh, somewhere else at the time that Sarah's death. He must have been somewhere else because it says that he came. He might have been tending his flocks. But we do learn this. We do learn that she died in Hebron. He came to her to mourn for her. You go, well, Ben, why did you have me circle the word Hebron? Because in Hebrew, it means fellowship. We talked about this yesterday in a discipleship called fellowship, Hebron, right? And I just wrote in my Bible, this is a cool way to die. You go, what do you mean? In fellowship with God's people. That's a cool way to go, to die in fellowship at the place God had called you to be, be amazing, to be amazing. Here's what I want to tell you guys. None of us has promised tomorrow, myself included. None of us. But I want to die in fellowship with God's people, just like Sarah, just like Sarah. Reminds me of a story. I had just got saved. I was 17 years old, 18 years old, I think. And, and, and maybe, maybe Talia was born already. I'm not sure. But we used to attend. My best friend's dad was the pastor of this Assemblies of God. It was a bilingual church. And, and um, they were all old. I mean, well-advanced in age, people would go to this church, right? And uh, it was Christmas Eve, and we had our Christmas Eve service. Now, we always got together with family, so we didn't, we didn't go to the church we had to go here and we had to go there. So, yeah, I think the kids were born already. And uh, there was a little old lady just loved Jesus. Just loved, I think she might have been 90 or something. I mean, she was old. And she actually died on Christmas Eve on the pew that night. We were driving by and saw the ambulance. was like, <gasps> but what happened is that she went to church to praise the Lord. And the Lord said, come on home. I think that's super cool, don't you? Man, in the, in, the, in the midst of worship, she's like, bless the I'm here, you know, and we're all left to be, did she just fall asleep? Hello? I, I, was, I wasn't in there, but I called my friend. He's like, no, Sister So-and-so, I don't even remember her name now, Sister So-and-so passed away on Christmas Eve service at church. She fell, she, I, I thought that was so cool. I thought that was so cool. Well, look at the last part of verse two, guys. This is heart-wrenching, right? It said, Abraham came to mourn for Sarah, and to weep with her. The first thing we know is there's a big difference between mourning and sorrow. You see, Solomon tells us in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 4, there's a time to weep and there's a time to laugh. 
there's a time to mourn and a time to dance. So the problem is, is that when somebody passes, we go, oh, I just mourn, I'm just mourning. And, and we take it to the extreme where we don't speak of them anymore. We don't talk about somebody who's passed, specifically if it was tragedy. But the Bible says there's time for you to mourn and it's okay. There's something called good grief. Good grief. It's okay. And there's a time to laugh. I can't tell you how many times I've been in a hospital room where I know that the, the person is about to die or they had just died and the family's laughing. Not at the situation, but the memories. And do you remember when he did? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, and then they go to crying and, and they go to laughing again. And there's those times. But that's a big difference. There's a big difference. It was Paul writing to the Romans in chapter 12, verse 15. It says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And then Paul reminds us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 13 and 14, you guys know this, but he says, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. He means those who have died. Lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. Why, Paul? For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Guys, that's the whole thing. That's the whole thing. You go, what's going to happen? Man, we're going to be doing our thing, right? We're going to be going to work. We're going to be whatever it might be. And you're going to hear that trumpet sound. And the Bible says, man, the dead in Christ are going to rise first. And then we who are alive and remain are going to be caught up. To, that's going to happen, guys. It's not a myth. It's not a fairy tale. This is going to happen. Well, Ben, people have been saying that since forever. It's getting close. Now's not the time to fall asleep in church. It's getting close. Here's what I want us to do, guys. You ready? I want you to write this down somewhere in your Bible. Okay? Write this down. I want to finish well. I want to finish well. I think that's so key. Whether the Lord takes us or, or, or there's a rapture, Man, I want to stand, and if I have to do your funeral, I'm going to say, man, they finished well. Well, I want to finish well. Don't you want to finish well? Man. Listen, I don't want there to be an asterisk next to my name for any reason. Well, he didn't finish well. He almost finished. He was supposed to go to heaven, but he ended up in, 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 right? in Haran. No. I want to finish well. I want to finish well. I want to finish the race. I want to finish the race. How many of you want to finish the race? Right? That, that's the whole thing, man. Have you, ever, have you ever gone on a race? Have you ever started? Have you ever done a race? Right? And all of a sudden, you realize that you're the last one, and so you just sort of walk off, right? Oh, I wasn't really playing. I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't really running. But we run, we run the race. And Paul says, if you're going to run, guys, run for the prize. Run for the prize that high calling of Jesus Christ. Run, run. I look at these youngsters here today, guys. I look at them and I'm just thinking, oh man, this is, these guys are just like, wow. Could you imagine what God will do with a generation like this? I mean, they're here with their Bibles open. They're taking notes and I am so humbled. I'm so humbled that, that God wants to, I'm just, I want to see what God's going to do. I wish, I wish that I was, I was being fed the, the word of God like them at that age. I wish. And I see that and it's like super cool. It's super cool. Well, 
here's the question that's been asked, right? Where did Sarah go when she died? Because we're in Genesis chapter 23. Where did she go? Well, this is known as Abraham's bosom. Well, Abraham hadn't died yet, but it's a place called Hades. Hades is separated in two places right now, okay? And those who died believing and were counted righteousness went to Abraham's bosom, and they hung out there. Till when? Till Jesus died. Then he came down, and the Bible says he led captivity captive. So in Hades right now, you have two compartments. You guys with me? One of them is empty because Jesus took all those who believed in him, all those are righteous, he took them to heaven. And then the others, there's what we call hell, those who didn't believe in Jesus are there waiting the judgment, the great white throne judgment. You're like, oh, oh. So what happens when we die? Because of Jesus, you probably bypass Abraham's bosom and be in the presence of the Lord in heaven. But that's where Sarah is right now. She's just, she's just there. She's just there. They named this after my husband, but he's still up there. I don't know, but that's how we know it. That's how we know it. Now, I love Abraham because he's grown in God's grace. And we all know that he's made some some bad choices concerning Sarah, don't we? We all know that a couple of times in Egypt and and with King Abimelech, the dude was like, tell him, him, listen, I don't want to die. Tell him you're my sister. (laughs) Tell him you're my sister. It's not a lie. It's a half-truth. No, it's, you know, come on, man. Come on. He's made some bad choices. I mean, Sarah was taken twice. And God had to step in and be like, dude, no, that, that's, that's, um, that's this dude's wife. That's Abraham's wife. No. But it was whose fault, guys? It was Abraham's. Let me ask all the married folks here, all the married girls. All the married girls, you, you, you probably don't have to answer, but has your husband made some bad choices, some foolish choices in their life? You're like, mm-hmm. Some silly choices, some bad things. Yeah, you're like, uh-huh. We have. We have. I see Beverly nudging over there. I see it. No, she didn't. I'm just kidding. But we do, right, Joe? We do. But deep in his heart, Abraham loved Sarah. And his heart is broken right now. And he's going to miss her, and it's going to be hard. And all the years spent together, walking the high highs and the low lows, he's going to miss his wife. That never really hits home to you until your wife is diagnosed with cancer. And I remember when they told me, and I remember, I just, you know, you, you're sort of numb. You kind of go just, what? And I remember thinking, this is I remember thinking, and it wasn't, it wasn't to be mean or anything, but I was thinking, Lord, you gave her 29 years with me. I'm grateful for that. But that did not mean that I would not miss her if anything. I mean, it, I, we were still going to fight with everything. But I've got to be honest with you guys. In my heart of hearts, I was sort of preparing because I didn't know. And I used to drive home thinking, is this what it's going to be like? And I still do at times. Talia and, and, and Nathalie, and they'll go out and they'll, they'll, they'll leave me at the house alone. Very, very rarely, but they do. 
And I sometimes think, is this what it's going to be like? This, what is, this is what it could. And I'm sure Abraham's having all those emotions. Now, we don't like to think about it until it's like, hey, you know what? Your wife could, that's what the die. Your wife could die. I know. But her grandma lived to be 95 years old. Her mom is healthy. What are you talking about? You know, this really. Tr- tr- but I know this is going to be hard. I know it's going to be hard. But you want to you know one thing, guys, and I think it's important. We know that, that um, Abraham loved Sarah. We know that. Can I get an amen? But you know that he eventually moves on. You go, what do you mean? He marries again and has more kids. We know that he's got to be about 137 years old, right? He marries a lady by the name of Keturah, and they go on to have six more sons. Now, I don't know about you, but being a dad at 137 again? Uh Uh-uh. They're all fighting for the remote and everything. No, 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 no. Go to your mom. Now, for some, for some, and this is you, you say, I'm only married once. When my spouse dies, I'm going to remain a widow until they die, and that's perfectly fine. And that's okay. That's perfectly fine. There's a lot of people who do that. My dad did that. My mom died when I was 18 months old, and and he said, no, I'm never marrying again. Amen. For others, guys, they need companionship. And they will go and they will marry again. And that's perfectly fine. But we know that heaven, in heaven, it's different, don't we? That's here on earth. You you may say, oh, I'm going to stay a widow. No, I'm going to get married again. You know, how much time do I have? Okay. Um, because I know Nathalie, when we talked about it, she goes, no, I, if something happens to me, and, and really that's the conversations we have. If something happens to me, I want you to move on. And of course, no, baby, I wouldn't move on. You're the only thing that's the best thing that's ever happened to me. Oh, I'm a, no, I'm not going to do anything. No, no. But, but the, some people need companionship. Some people go, no, I, 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 really need, I really need somebody. Other people are like, no. Because in heaven, it's different, right? And this is what really, tell me if this blows your mind. In heaven, my wife is not going to be my wife. She will be my sister. That's weird. She's going to be my sister, right? My daughter is going to be my sister. That's really weird. Your daughter's your sister? No, in heaven. But it reminds me of a story, a funny story. Do you guys remember when the Sadducees questioned Jesus? Do you remember that in Luke chapter 12? The Sadducees, see, they didn't believe in the resurrection, and they questioned Jesus, and they say, there's no resurrection, and they came to him, and they asked, and they said, teacher... Moses wrote to us that if a man's brother dies and he leaves his wife behind, right, leaves no children, his brother should take up his wife and marry an offspring for for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers. Now, you got to think this is funny because I used to tell, I I have two older brothers, and so I used to tell Nathalie, if I die, you have to marry my older brother who's single right now. And she said, this isn't, this this is not going to happen. But that's what he's saying, right? You have to raise up an offering. So the Sadducees, now, I've got a question. He said, now, um, the first one, it says, the first took a wife and died and left no offspring. The second took a wife and died and left no offspring. The third, likewise, now, she says, so there were seven in her and left no offspring. He says, after all, then the, the woman died. And I'm thinking, you, the, the lady killed seven dudes anyway. You know, there's something wrong with this story. 
I mean, seriously, it'd be like, I'm, like I, if I'm the sixth brother, I'd be like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> Don't you want to marry me? Uh-uh. Right? But then think about heaven, right? Think about heaven, because these guys come and they say, listen, in the resurrection, whose wife is she going to be? And I'm thinking, you, you're silly. And, and Jesus says, listen, you guys don't even know the Bible. I'm paraphrasing. You don't even know the Bible, but I'm thinking about heaven. Think about this, right? Say I died. Say I died. And Nathalie's a good-looking woman, right? And these boys come a-pining, and maybe she marries somebody else. Right, we're going to have a problem in heaven if she's still my wife, because when Nathalie gets there and that other person gets there and goes, "Baby, who's this? We got a problem. Who? What is this all about?" Well, you were dead, and he had money. What? And what if that dude dies and 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 she marries somebody else? I mean, I'll be like, there'll be. I mean, there's seven. I mean, she, the first one is going. What, what happened? See, it's silly. Because in heaven, Jesus said, we're not going to be given in marriage. We're going to be like the angels, guys. We're going, to have, we're going to have glorified bodies, and she's going to be my sister, and it's going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing. But I, I think of these guys, and, and Abraham loves his wife. Now, that's the meat of the chapter. The rest of the chapter, guys, deals with Abraham's plea to buy some land. So let's read it. We'll move pretty quick to this, I promise. And, and then we'll be out of here. Look at verse 3. Then Abraham stood up. Now he's, he's mourned for his wife before he's dead. And he, he spoke to the sons of Heth. These are the Hittites. He says, I'm a foreigner and a visitor among you. Everybody see that? Look at verse 4. I'm a foreigner and a visitor. Some of your translations will say sojourner. He says, give me the property for a burial place among you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. Now, here's what I want, I want you to keep in mind. Abraham tells the sons of Heth, I am a foreigner, a sojourner among you. But here's what I want you to know. He's lived in Canaan for over 60 years. So what's he talking about? He's not a sojourner anymore. Listen, if you've lived at a certain place for a long time, you're, you're, that's your home. Okay, that's, that's how it is. Like I've been in Texas for 15 and a half years. Guess where my home is? Texas. That's where my home is. This is where I live. This is where I make a living. This is where... But he's saying, I'm a, I'm a foreigner. So what's he talking about? What's he talking about? Guys, he's speaking... Now listen, you got to grasp this. He's speaking about his heart and his mind. He knows that he's just passing through. So he says, listen, I've been here 60 years, but you got to realize I'm just a foreigner here. I'm just sojourning. Think about it, guys. He's just passing through. And I'm not sure. Man, I, I, I just. I just think about I just think about our lives. And we and, and we and, and, and we put our tent pegs so deep, guys. As we don't realize we're just passing through. And you know what happens when we put our tent pegs so deep? You ever buy a house? And when you buy a house, you accumulate stuff. And when you accumulate stuff, you got to buy sheds. And then you got to buy more sheds. And you shake your head going, what do I need all this stuff for? See, sometimes when we put our tent pegs too deep, it's hard for the Lord 
right? It's hard to pull them out when God calls us to move or he calls us home. You want my advice? Yes, Ben, give me your advice. And let's get rid of the stuff. Let's get rid of the stuff. Let's not be so tied to our stuff. Oh, that's, 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 just, that's for me, guys. You can listen if you want to, but get rid of that stuff. Get rid of that stuff. And when the sons of Heth answered Abraham, saying, Here is my Lord. You are a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our burial places. None of us will withhold from you his burial place, that you might bury the dead. He's saying, you're a mighty prince. This is what it means. The, the, the mighty prince is actually in, the literal translation is prince with God. And what they're saying is that, man, you're highly favored. We know that whatever you touch turns, God is with you. God is with you. But what they're saying is, we're not going to give you one. Just use any one of our place. Go ahead. Go ahead. Just use it. Just use it. Take anything you want from us. Basically, we're not going to hold it back. Let me give you this translation. Mikasa isukasa. That's what they're saying. But Abraham in verse 7 says, and he stood up and he bowed himself. Notice, he bowed himself to the people of the land of the sons of Heth. And I want you to note here, guys, humility. He bows himself to the people. He's just been called a prince of God, but he realized humility. And I wrote in my Bible right here, I want to be like Abraham. Because the Bible tells me this, guys. James 4.10, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. He bows. He's not, he's not going, Psh, hey. I've got, I got more money. Come on, let's go. Let's go. Let's do this. No, he's, he, listen. And he spoke with him saying, if it is your wish that I bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and meet with Ephron, the son of Zophar for me, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which, is, which he has, which is in the end of the field. Let him give it to me at full price as property for burial among you. Now, Ephron dwelt among the sons of Heth, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the presence of the sons of Heth who entered the gate in the city, saying. So basically, Ephron was in the city gates. He didn't know who he was. He's like, hey, uh, I'm going to appeal to your elders if Hevron, uh, Ephron has this. And he's like, I'm here. I'm here. He's right here. And he says, no, 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 no. Ephron says, now hear me, Lord. I give you the field, my friend the cave, and all that's in it. I give it to you in the presence of the sons of my people. I give it to you. Bury your dead. Then Abraham bowed himself before the people of the land. Notice the humility. And he spoke to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land, saying, if you will give. Everybody see that in your Bible? The actual word means sell. He says, You're not, I'm not taking it. If you will sell me it, please hear me. I will give you the money for the field. Take it from me, and I will bury my dead there. And Ephron answered, Abraham saying to him, my Lord, listen to me. The land is worth 400 shekels of silver. But what is that between you and me? So bury your dead. You go, what do you mean? This is just a side note, guys. If you write in your Bible, don't go ahead and write this. 400 shekels was way overpriced for the land. Way overpriced. But he's, he's what? He's bargaining. He's bargaining. Why? One way or another. If Abraham takes it, listen, if he takes it, listen, he's going to be indebted to them for the rest of his life. Abraham, we gave you this. Come on, help us fight. If Abraham pays for it, Ephron's going to make a hefty profit. Hefty profit. And Abraham listened to Ephron, and Abraham weighed out the silver for Ephron. 
which he had named at the hearing at the sons of Heth, 400 shekels of silver, currency of the merchants. So the field of Ephron, which is in Machpelah, which was before Mamre, the field and the cave which was in it, and all the trees that were in the field, which was within all the surrounding borders, were deeded to Abraham as a possession of the presence of the, of the sons of Heth before all who went into the gate of the city. After this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave, the cave of Machpelah before Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. So the field and the cave that were in it were deeded to Abraham by the sons of Heth as a property for the burial. Now, listen, listen. This, is, this gives you just some great insight, okay? Why? Because, because he could have just, just used a cave temporarily. He could have said, okay, well, I'm just going to bury Sarah in here. And, but he knew that, listen, I'm going to have sons. That, you know, we, we need this for all the burial. One day I'm going to be buried here. But if you realize there was another cave that was used just temporarily, it was only used for three days. See, Jesus, Joseph of Arimathea, yeah, go ahead and use my hand. It wasn't like, we need to buy this, because Jesus says, no, I only need it for three days. Because I'm going to resurrect, I'm coming back again. I'm coming back again. So basically, they deed him the land. That's where, that's where Sarah's born. That's where she's buried. That's where eventually the rest of the family's going. As a matter of fact, when Joseph goes to Egypt... And dies in Egypt. You guys remember that whole story? We'll get to that. He says, bury me where? Back in Canaan, back in Hebron. Bury me with my... And so they, you know, if you ever watch the Ten Commandments, they're carrying Joseph's bones and they're going to bury him back here with his great-grandma. Okay, so let's close. The worship team can come back up and give us one final song, but we'll close with this. For Abraham to purchase the cave of Machpelah was an expression of his faith in God. Why? Because the writer of Hebrews alluded to this. Jot this down if you're taking note. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 13 through 16. It says, all these people died still believing that God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised. They saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. Obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to a country that they can call their own. Verse 15, if they had longed for the country that came from, they could have gone back. But they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That's why God is not ashamed to to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. You see, they realized, okay, we're just passing through, and this is the place we need to be buried. Our descendants are going to be buried there. But they were looking forward to that heavenly foundation, the heavenly city. That's what they were looking for. So the question tonight, guys, as we close our Bible study, where... Where are we looking forward to? You see, I know we're all going to get up tomorrow and it's going to be Thursday. We're going to get back to work and think about our week and what we have to do and what we don't have to do and so forth. But in the back of our minds, are we ready for that eternal home where we have peace and joy and our loved ones are there and we have the God that we serve? Right? 
I'm looking forward to that. But our motto, our motto should always be, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. You go, what does that mean? Listen, we're looking forward to going home someday. Can I get an amen? But while we're here, let's work. Let's tell others about Jesus. Let's love people back to life. Let's walk with people in, in the darkest of times and rejoice with them in the, in the high highs. Father, your word is amazing. We thank you for your word and the truth in your word. We thank you, God, that uh, you're in control of all things. Lord, we love you. We thank you, God, for Sarah. We thank you for Abraham. We look forward to Isaac's story. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.